You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Does anybody know that song? Yeah? Can you throw your hand up if you know that song? Oh, there's a lot of us know that we're so cool. That's Coldplay, baby. It's a song called Fix You. I want to talk this morning about fixing you. That's gonna, as my mother used to say, Michael, come in here and I'll fix you. And she would definitely fix me, and it took the back of a hand to fix me normally. It never took an awful lot to get me fixed, as it were. I want to talk this morning about fixing, uh, but I want, to, I want to pick up the story a little bit because I've been looking for the last few weeks at the story of a guy, a, a guy in the Bible called Job, and of course, no, the remote control is not going to work for me, is it? <laughs> it does need to be fixed. Thank you. Now, let's try this one more time. Um, can we get our media man to give me a click there? This is going to take forever. Um, is it going to work for me? No. Guys, can you just bear with me for one second? I'm going to get this working. Will you, will you just stand there? Hum, hum, fix you amongst yourself. Tom's going to say something there to you while you're doing that. What have you done to me? Robin, you'll be clicking all day, love. Last year here, I came to know the Lord about, uh, is it a year ago now? Yeah. So their first baby is due within the next couple of weeks, so it could be any day now. So we really need to remember them in our prayers, amen? So when you're praying for other things, remember this couple, they're a long way from home. They originally come from South Africa. Mum and dad are coming over, but the first baby. So let's pray the baby would be born safe and well, that Lizelle would be safe and well, and that Dylan would um, have a nice time too. Amen. <laughs> so remember Dylan and Lizelle. Give them a round of applause. Gotcha. Uh, no. And so it's always a great joy to pray for people who are having just. babies. But let's just remember some people aren't having kids. So it's a balance in the community. And we pray for That's everyone. Nice. Amen. And we cover everyone, and nobody is better than another. We are all equal. So over to Michael. Are we all sorted? I hope so. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. You may remember me from three minutes ago getting a heart attack about the fact that my remote control wasn't working. Meanwhile, back at the palace, getting fixed does not like being fixed. The story of Job. I've been preaching about Job for the last few times, and I was up to speak. I don't know if my remote control is going to work. Is it going to work? Yes, it's working. It's working. Thank you, Lord. It works. Anyway, it's only the latest, really, in a number of things about Job and preaching about Job that has come to my mind. In the last couple of weeks, um, my car broke down several times while preaching about Job. My wife rang me one day to tell me that both of our cars were broken down. And I began to think, is there something in connection with my preaching about Job that disasters are visiting themselves upon me? So I went out for a lovely family meal last Thursday. 
And uh, we went out, we had a, a nice meal, we went down to the food court in Mahon Point, and I went to the, a certain restaurant there, um, and at the certain restaurant there I got the gluten-free option, which also happened to be the taste-free option, but other than that I got the gluten-free option. And then I got the bonus of food poisoning when I went home, which was really nice. I then had to get, a, get up on Friday morning like a wet dish cloth, I had to go and do a wedding in West Cork. I did a wedding down in, in Celtic Ross Hotel in West Cork. And as I stood up to do the wedding, I felt like saying to the couple, would you mind if we just got straight to the I do's because I'm not here for the ceremony, I'm not able for this. So we did the wedding and came home. And on the way home, the shock absorber, the rear shock absorber, failed in my other car. Hallelujah. So I just wanted to say this. I am never preaching about Job again. <laughs> I don't want the life lessons anymore. I have enough. We were talking about Job, and I was saying about how uh, Job, I've done two installments, this is my third one. The first one was about Job's faith, how Job had faith in the midst of this incredible trial that fell upon him. He lost his children, he lost, his, he lost his, um, all of his property, everything that he had in the world, he lost. And we talked about that and how he managed to maintain his faith in it all. It says that at the end of it all, Job did not accuse God of doing wrong, even though he didn't really have any idea of what was going on in his life. Then he began to talk about the accused and how it was the unseen story of Job. And that was how it was the enemy, Satan, who had gone and challenged God about Job and that God had pointed out Job and, and God had allowed Satan to test Job's faith. Our faith is not worth anything unless it's tested, guys, and that's the plain truth of it. Our faith isn't is insubstantial until it's tested. But today I want to talk about the other people who came along to help Job. Today's message is called Friends Like These, Job's Comforters, the people who came alongside Job. Now these guys I'm going to talk about this morning, they live in what's called infamy. They're people, the, the name Job's Comforter means somebody who is absolutely of no help whatsoever. Somebody who helps to point out where everything has gone wrong, but points out no good. I want to look at that passage of scripture this morning. And as we begin, can I just, would you pray with me for a second? Father, I pray that you would give me strength as I stand up here this morning. I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will be in the words that we hear this morning. Let what is of me drift and float away, Lord, but what is of you come home to dwell and take, take residence in our hearts and our minds this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Job's comforters. Job has undergone, just for those of you who don't know the rest of it, he's undergone this incredible trial. His children have been killed. His property has all been stripped away from him. Now his body is covered in sores. He is absolutely distraught. He is destroyed as a human being. He is being brought to absolutely nothing. And the story picks up just at the end of the stage where Job, it says, sat on an ash heap, scraping his skin with a shard of broken pottery because there were so many boils and sores on his skin. And the story picks up here. It says this. When, Job, when three of Job's friends heard the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and to console him. Their names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. And they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was far too great for words. His friends arrive. 
His three friends arrive. Can you, can you think of three friends who would arrive if you were in a very, very difficult situation? His three friends arrive. Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. These, 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 these are his buddies. These are his closest friends in the world. And they hear about what's after happening to Job. And they come along and they say, Do you know something? I'm going to call over to Job. I heard he's after suffering a desperate tragedy, so I'm going to call to him. So they show up and they see from a distance that he's in such a desperate condition that they can barely recognize him. He's in such a desperate condition. He's sitting on this ash heap, everything taken from him, everything stripped from him. And it says that they wailed loudly. It's a real sign of Middle Eastern mourning. They cried out. They tore their robes, a symbol of their own mourning. And they threw dust over their heads and into the air to show how, how they were brokenhearted. And they sat down with Job for seven days and said nothing. No, if Job's three friends, Zophar, Bildad, and Eliphaz had just done that, they would have been the heroes of the story. If that was all they had done, they did three things that were right. Listen, if you ever have a friend who's in real trouble, who's experiencing something desperate, do three things that are, there are three things you can do that are very useful. Show up, put up, and shut up. They're the three things that you should do. Show up, put up, and shut up. Because, that, because some people's griefs and some people's situations, they don't actually need anybody to come in and help them. Just be with them. And if they had just done that, they would be listed amongst the heroes of faith. You go, Zophar, Bildad, and Eliphaz, what great guys they were. These are such good friends of Job. They showed up when he was at his lowest point. I'll tell you something that's very important. My wife is often saying to me, when people go through a tough time, the most important thing of all to do is show up is show up. Actually show up at their situation. You know, it's a strange thing. It, it, it's, it's certain things get in on your memory. I remember when my mother and my father uh, both died. And uh, I remember the number of people who came from the church just to condole with me at the, at the, the removal and at the funeral. And I so appreciated that people would go to the trouble of just showing up when I was in grief. They just, they just showed up and they shook my hand or patted my back or kissed me on the cheek or gave me a hug. And I just so appreciated showing up is just such an important part of life. So these guys show up, they put up, in other words, they, they act just like him, and they put up with Job, they, just, they don't kind of interfere with him, they don't kind of say, ah, come here, Job, they just, they, they put up with him for seven days, silence, they just sit there, and they shut up, they don't say anything, they don't try to explain it all away, and it says this, at the end of the seven days, Job speaks up, at last he said, Job spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth, lads, what a desperate situation to be in, to curse the day of your birth. And all the way through Job chapter 3, it goes on about Job says, I wish that the candle had been snuffed out in the day that I was born. I wish the sun had never come up the day that I was born. I wish that uh, the day that I was born was deleted from the calendar, that it was removed from God's memory. And it goes right through all of this. And in the end, Job says this. He says, what I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have only rest. Only trouble comes. And you know something for most people, at certain seasons in their lives, you know, we get seasons in our lives and we have no peace and we have no quietness and we don't have any rest and it just seems like there's only trouble coming. Do you know sometimes that's just part of life. Isn't that right, brothers and sisters? 
And just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're immune from trouble coming. You know that? Just because we, we don't go around with some kind of injection saying, well, I'm a Christian, therefore these things aren't going to happen to me. Bad things happen to good people. It's all over the scriptures. But there's times in our lives and there's seasons and times when we have no peace and no quietness and we have no rest and only trouble comes. Now, everything has gone desperately bad, but in fairness to the three lads, they've done a great job up to now. But then they decide to open their mouth and that's when the trouble starts. Do you know, if you are somebody who, say, has the gift of the gab. Here's an Irish term, the gift of the gab. I mean, I don't have the gift of the gab. Does anybody here have the gift of the gab? If you have the gift of the gab, sometimes talking seems to somehow be the most natural solution to everything. Let's talk. Anyway, so these guys should have kept the silence, the mute button pressed because it would have done them the world of good. Because it was when they begin to speak up that the real disaster begins to happen. And for the next chapter, from chapter 4 right till chapter 31 of Job, these guys get into this argument with Job. And I'm going somewhere with this now. So here's just a sample of what these guys advised him. Eliphaz said, stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. Job, you're after doing something. Job, you're a naughty boy. Job, you're covering up something. You've planted evil somewhere in your life. And I'm telling you, that's what you're reaping, Job. Thank you for that, Eliphaz. <laughs> Bildad speaks up and he says, Look, God will not reject a person of integrity, nor will he lend a hand, lend a hand to the wicked. If you had integrity, Job, this wouldn't be happening to you. If you were a good guy, Job, none of this stuff would be happening to you. Bless you, Bildad. You're so kind to me. Then up speaks Zophar. Get rid of your sins. Leave all the iniquity behind you. And then your face will brighten with innocence. If you just leave your sins behind you, Job, everything will be okay. If you just get rid of the stuff that you're hiding from everybody, everything will be fine. You must have done something wrong, Job, to bring all this upon you. God bless you also, Zophar. So basically, these three guys come along and they advise him, do you see all that's happening to you, Job? All of this is, guess what? Your own fault. Have you ever found that that has never, ever comforted anyone ever in their lives? Did you ever notice that? I mean, I know lots of times my parents would have said to me, and forgive me, but I probably said it to my own children a number of times, when something has gone wrong and my, dad, my mother or father would say to me, Michael, it's your own fault. And I've often gone, oh, I feel so comforted by those words. There's no, I mean, no. Wait, wait, wait. So what they're doing is they're applying their understanding of God, saying God would not act in this manner. These events could not possibly happen to you unless you were a bad guy, Job. And Job said, I'm not a bad guy. I didn't do anything wrong. Now, Job overstates his innocence because he kind of thinks he's really, really innocent, but I can't really go into that. But these guys basically say, if you just, just, just let it all out, Job, just tell us all about it, confess it to God, and everything will be okay. And they fell into what is a fairly common trap of human beings. And that is, they got into the fixer trap. They like to fix things. So, you know, some people just like to fix things, fix things don't they? Hmm. Nobody here likes to fix things, do they? I mean, if there's a problem in your home, do you like to fix it? 
I mean, who here likes to fix things? Come on, get the love up. And the rest of you are just so, I'm so passive, I just want my life to go by. I don't never fix nothing. Oh, the, the sink is overflowing, honey. Well, the Lord will deal with it. We all like to fix things. I'm a fixer myself. I like to, I like to fix problems. But you know something? There's one thing that you and I have never been called to do, and that is fix people. We can't fix people. You see, these three friends of Job, they weren't bad guys. They weren't evil. They were just trying to fix the situation. They kind of saw a general idea and said, well, here's a principle. Let's apply that, and that'll fix it. Let's just fix the problem. I mean, I like to fix problems. I'm a kind of a, I'm a bit of a problem solver myself. I'm not the best problem solver, but I'm a, I'm a bit of a problem solver myself. The problem happens, however, for me, when I'm asked to solve a problem that isn't actually a problem. That's the problem, you know what I'm saying? And I can try and fix things, and somebody presents me with a problem. So let me give you a simple example from life. Sometimes, when we plan to go on holiday, Elm and my wife, and she's sitting at the back, oh, sweetheart, and you know this is true now, Elma, so don't deny it, okay? <laughs> so Elma will say, so if, if Elma said to me, I need to get to Alicante by next Thursday morning at half past eight, bang, I'm your man. You get it sorted, we'll book this and fly that and sort that out. But if somebody says to me, someone, no Elma, okay, nobody specific, okay? If somebody says to me, where will we go on holiday this year? I start to smoke. And my wife would say to me, I was thinking about the Costa del Sol. Not computing, not computing. And I begin to lose the will to live. Why do I lose? I mean, I like a holiday just like the next person likes a holiday. The problem with the holiday is this. If you say, I would like to go to Spain on holidays. Yay, great stuff. Do you know how many places there are to go on holiday in Spain? At last count, 47 trillion places to go on holiday in Spain. Okay? Do you know how many houses you can rent on Airbnb in Spain? Gazillions of houses. You see, it's not a problem. In actual fact, there is no solution. There are too many combinations. Go on holiday, yes, but there's just too many combinations, and I can't fix it. I just, I, I just can't fix that problem. I'm just not able to fix that problem because... It's, it's not actually a problem. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, if I was told I'd like to go to a specific place, yeah, we can do that. But otherwise, that to me, the problem is too big. But the worst part of all is when people try to fix the person they're with. Isn't that right? Don't we love to be fixed? Now, my wife has never done that, just for the record. We may not be 100% on the same page when it comes to holidays, but she's never tried to fix me, at least not that I know of. But, <laughs> but here's a bad deal. Husbands, love your wives. As Paul says in Ephesians, who said amen? You can put your hand up. Husbands, love your wives. Don't fix them. Amen? Your wife is not a problem to be solved. Amen? Are you getting uncomfortable yet? Wives, respect your husbands. Don't fix them. Amen? Can we get any of the men to say amen to that? We're speaking like, amen. Kind of, you're all kind of afraid to say amen. My wife is sitting next to me, but I say amen to that one. <laughs> Don't fix each other. You see, sometimes our perception even of the problem 
can be different. We've got a little video for you to take a quick look at and it'll explain to you some of the issues perhaps that might occur between men and women. Robin. It's just, there's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's gonna stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever gonna stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there. Stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just, sometimes it's like, there's this achy, I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. really hard. <laughs> Thank you. Ow! Come on, if you would just- Don't! Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment, okay? Actually, figure it out yourselves, all right? Don't try and fix each other. Because sometimes when we approach a problem, we can see it as a problem. You see, to me, that, that's a real... No, it's not so much my... Because Elma's not like that. But, you know, so many people you can see, like, guys come in and they fix problems and they have solutions. But I don't, I don't want the solution. I'm not looking for a solution. Just listen to me. Be with me. Feel my pain. That's all I want you to do. <laughs> Amen. I'm preaching it, blessing. I'm preaching it, sister. Pass the, pass the offering basket to keep the blessing immediately. <laughs> Don't fix it. Because you know what? If my son or my wife or my friend, say even Tom would come to me and begin to talk to me about one of his in, in deep and personal problems that he has inside him, only kidding about that. But if somebody comes to me and they have a problem, whatever the problem is, I'm immediately going to problem solving mode. Well, we could fix it by doing, don't fix it. You know something, guys? I've met an awful lot of Christians who think it's their ministry to fix people. It's not your ministry to fix people. Jesus Christ fixes people. He makes them new. He goes one step further. We are not the he. We are his workmanship. And you know, in case you think it's just, this, there's a modern thing, and I think it's very, I think it's a, a quite a pervasive thing with this problem solving and fixing situation. I think a lot of people are out there trying to fix society and they're trying to fix this and fix that, when really that's not what it needs. The disciples themselves fell into the same situation. In John's Gospel, chapter 9, this short piece is recorded. It's actually a full chapter about a man who was healed of blindness. But the disciples, as ever, come at it with the wrong, the wrong angle. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. The rabbi, his disciples, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins 
are his parents' sins. Because he must have been born blind for some reason. And either he done something really, really bad. Or his parents done something really, really bad. No. 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 Sometimes things are as they are. They just are as they are. And Jesus brings the most incredible response. What does he say? It was not because of his sins. I can just imagine Jesus. It wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And then he went, says he went along and he went, he spat on the ground. And in case you look, don't be offended, but the spit didn't kind of come miraculously out of his mouth at all, okay? He, he spat on the ground. And he mixed up mud on the ground and he rubbed it on the man's eyes and he healed his eyesight. He didn't say to him, I forgive your sins. He didn't say, I forgive your parents' sins. He just moved and he just healed the man. He addressed him. In actual fact, if you look at the discourses of Jesus, if you look at, if you look at all of what Jesus says to, if you will, the masses or the crowds, right through all of his ministry, in all of the Gospels, you'll find something very interesting. He rarely... Maybe 10, 12, 14% of the time actually addresses sin and repentance. Most of the time he talks about life and death. He talks about how he has come, how they are stuck in death and he has come to bring life. He's not coming to fix people. You know, Jesus was described, you know, let's use his own words. This is what Jesus said about himself. He said, the son of man feasts and drinks and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend, a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. They accuse them of being buddies with the sinners. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the general religious society of the time had become really, really puritanical. And when Jesus starts hanging around with these kind of bad guys, or the guys that they interpret as being morally inferior, they begin to call him a friend of tax collectors. Now, can I ask you a question? Honestly, do you think that these guys would have hung around with Jesus if he spent all of his time sitting with them going, do you know what now? If you could only sort that part out in your life, you'd be fine, really. Do you know, I know the problem with you now. I know your issue because I can sort out that issue for you. And here's my suggestion to you. You should sort this out. Do you think that if he was going around with a sour face in him all the time, just fixing their problems and sorting them out, that they would have been his friends? That they would have hung around him for very long? No. I'm telling you, they wouldn't. What he did was he came and he brought life to their situations. Brothers and sisters, very few of us here are psychologists or psychotherapists or psychoanalysts or psychiatrists. Very few of us here are that. So don't try and be one. Be a friend. Be a friend. Show up, put up, and shut up. It's that simple. Be a friend. And you know the people that you meet in work? And I, I tell you, I've, I've, done, I've done this before. I remember once being in work, and this guy was talking about paying taxes. And he was talking about, you know, how he needs to pay tax. And, or, you know, he doesn't generally himself pay tax. And there was two of us at the table. And uh, uh, the other Christian said, well, you, you know, you really do need to pay your tax. It's very important you need to pay your tax. And this guy said to me, are you serious? Why would I want to become a Christian if, if I have to pay my taxes? Hello? That doesn't make any sense. Somebody later advised me on the situation and said, you know what? The government employs a lot of people to collect the taxes for the state. A lot of people are employed to do that job. Don't be a tax collector for the state. 
Let God sort them out. You tell them about Jesus Christ. You bring them to the one who will give them life. And don't worry about the taxes. And don't worry about the situations. And don't worry about the problems. Bring them to Jesus and he will resolve them. Jesus said it himself. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's full life. Not sorting out the little Mickey Mouse problems and little situations and little fixy-uppies here and there all over the place. He's come that we may have life and have it to the full. And if you're bringing life to the full to the people that you meet in your work and in your life every day, trust me, it'll be irresistible. But if you go in there and try and give them a moral code that they have neither the interest nor the power to fulfill, you're wasting your time. Please don't be offended by my saying that. If you're going to go in to meet people who don't know Jesus Christ and don't have the power of God at work in their lives and you tell them to obey your moral code, you are wasting your time. You're wasting your time. But if you tell them about Jesus and if they come to meet Jesus personally, you won't have to say anything. He will do it himself. We are his workmanship. Paul talks about receiving comfort when he was in trial and when he was in his difficult situation. He talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And he says this about, about receiving comfort. He said, Our God is a merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So if you are in a trial, or you are in a difficulty, and God comforts you in that situation. Now what does comfort mean? You can think, you know, comfort isn't problem solving. The word comfort here is taken from the Greek meaning as you would to comfort a child. As you would to comfort a child. So when my, when my kids came in and they were young and they had a bad dream, it was, that wasn't the appropriate time to say, well now let's address your pre-bed routine, because that's causing the problem here. When a child comes in crying about a nightmare or having a difficult situation, you pick them up and you give them a hug and you offer them comfort. Don't go off solving their problems. They know what the problem is. Don't worry about it. And that's the implication here in Paul. How did Paul get this? Was it some kind of magical, mystical comfort that fell upon him? I don't think it was. I think the comfort was they met other Christian believers and those other Christian believers spoke to them the word of God and through those Christian believers, they met with the presence of God himself and they were comforted. And they were built up and they thought, you know what? We thought it was hopeless, but it isn't hopeless. There is more for us. Paul talks about losing the will to live. He literally says, we, we thought we had, we felt the sentence of death in our hearts. We thought we were finished, but God gave us comfort. And the comfort that we received is the comfort that we pass on. So guys, in that sense, no trial, no difficulty, no trouble is ever wasted in your life because the comfort you receive you will be able to comfort others with that the trials that i've gone through in my life or say the trials that elma and i have gone through in our lives we are able to comfort others by the trials that we have gone through and seeing god's faithfulness through them and being able to offer comfort and just sometimes just showing up and saying i feel your pain I know I joke about it sometimes, but you know when you're talking to somebody and they really are going through some really dark valley, I sometimes really do feel their pain because I've been in that valley myself sometimes. Offer them the comfort. Offer them the comfort of your presence, the comfort of God's word, the comfort of God's presence. Finally, Paul talks about his situation. And you know, I want to say this to you this morning, wherever you're at, and you might be top of the world, 
praise the Lord if you are on top of the world looking down on creation, as the old song says. If you're in a fantastic place, I am thrilled for you. But your experience will change somewhere along the line. And Paul was able to say later on in the same, same letter to the early Christians, or the Christians in the early church at Corinth, he was able to write this. He said, though we are pressed on every side by troubles, we are not crushed. Would anyone say Amen. We are perplexed. In other words, we don't understand exactly what's going on. But we are not driven to despair. He says we are hunted down, but we are never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We get knocked down. And sometimes we get such a haymaker that we're knocked flat on the ground. But we are not destroyed by these events. Because why? Because God is for us, not against us. Not against us. And when you get to the end of the book of Job, you realize that God is for Job, not against him. And his advisors and his comforters were saying to him, Job, God is against you. Can I just say to you this morning, wherever you're at, if you trust in Jesus Christ, God is for you, not against you. Please get that into your heads. And though you are pressed on every side by troubles, you will not be crushed. Though you are perplexed and don't understand, you will not be driven to despair. And though you are hunted down, you will never be abandoned by God. And though you are knocked down, you will not be destroyed. Amen. amen. Could we get a load amen to that? Amen. amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Can I get the worship team up? We're just going to pray. We're going to sing and we're going to pray. We're going to sing Never Let Go, the song Never Let Go by Matt Redman. An interesting song that he wrote. He wrote it when himself and his wife had gone through a very, very difficult time in their lives. And he wrote, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he began to think about that verse. And what had happened to him at the time was that his wife and he had had a miscarriage. Um, and it was back in 2005. And they went through a really, really difficult time. But he really felt God's comfort and God's sense of drawing near to him. And so out of that came this song that you never let go. You never let go. You know the Lord is never going to let go of you. Can I just, I want to pray for two things this morning. First, I want to pray for you this morning. If you're in a situation where you just need to hear and you need to know God's comfort in your situation. You need to hear and you need to know God's comfort in your situation. Let me close our eyes just for a moment. If you're here this morning and you say, Lord, I need to hear and I need to know your comfort in my situation this morning, Lord. I am perplexed. I misunderstand it. I don't know what's going on. But I need to hear and I need to know your comfort in my situation this morning. If that's you, will you raise your hand? I see your hands, guys. Praise God. I see your hands. God has still finished it. Let's just pray for a second. Can I invite you to come to the front, actually, just for a second? We've got a little bit of time. Can I invite you to come to the front if you raise your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. I just want to lay hands on you very, very briefly as we sing in a second. We're going to sing in a second. You just make your way up there, and we're going to just lay hands very briefly on you. Let's just pray for the rest of us. Can I pray that we would be bringers of God's life instead of fixers of situations. Can I pray that? Would you be willing to pray that this morning? Would you raise your hands if you want to pray that this morning? Do you want to be bringer of God's life rather than just a fixer of situations? Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord. You don't, you don't just 
come into our lives Lord with the spanners and sort us out Lord no you bring your life into our lives Lord I pray that each one of us would have the wisdom to speak your word and to bring your comfort into the situations that we face the trials and the problems Lord of the lives of the people that we face Lord I pray that we would be bringers of your life bringers of the message of Jesus Christ Lord I pray we wouldn't be bringing a moral code or some rules or regulations Lord but we would bringing the good news of Jesus Christ that we can have life we can have life through the name of Jesus Christ let's sing even though I walk even though through the valley through the valley of the shadow of death your perfect love is casting out fear and even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life I won't turn back I know you are near and I will fear no evil for my God is with me and if my God is this we're just going to briefly lay hands in here just for a second we're going to sing the song again we'll just sing through that chorus we're going to pray very briefly and then we'll close in prayer okay oh no you never let go through the coming Lord I pray for Fiona Lord Jesus grant that you in your understanding in every high every year grant that you I can see a light that is coming. I can see a light that is coming for the heart that holds on. There will be an end to these troubles, but until that day comes, still I will praise you. Still I will praise you. You never let go. And oh no, you never let go. Coming through the storm, oh no, you never let go in every high, in every low, oh no, you never let go, Lord, you never let go of me. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's close in prayer. If you want to, will you raise your hands to heaven as we close in prayer this morning? Let's lift our hands to heaven, Father in heaven. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what this evening brings. But we know that you know what this evening brings, Lord. Lord, whether we step out into the calm as we just sang, and Lord, everything goes sweetly and swimmingly, or whether we step into the storm this week, Lord, we pray that our prayer and our cry and our confession will be just like we sang. You never let go of me. Lord, I pray that no one here this week would be lost, 
feel lost, would get lost, Lord, I pray that we would be found by you in every situation in our lives, Lord, like the psalmist David said. Even if I go to the ends of the earth, your spirit will find me there, Lord. I pray your spirit would find us this week, whether we get up or whether we lie down, whether we work or whether we rest or whether we play. Let your spirit find us, we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Praise God. God bless and keep you, brothers and sisters, and go with you this week and know God's presence in every situation. In Jesus' name.